Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. Welcome to the new you. Jesus Christ is risen. He has ascended. You've put your faith and trust in him, right? Right? So therefore, now he has sent you into the world. You were once darkness, but now you are the light in the world. So walk, therefore, as children of light. We got to have our identity set to pull that off, don't we? We've got to see ourselves the way God sees us, not the way that Satan whispers to us in our ears, the way Satan would like us to think that God sees us. See, Satan would like us to think that God looks at us and he's just eternally disappointed. That's what Satan wants. But Paul says otherwise, and that's our study. So let's jump into it. We're going to be studying Ephesians chapter 3 this week and next week. Can I see that first graphic? We'll need that because as we break this down, Paul gives an explanation of his ministry in verses 1 through 12. The second part of Ephesians chapter 3 is going to cover Paul's intercession for the saints, which will be verses 13 through 21. So let's begin. Pull out your Bibles if you haven't already. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul writes, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. I'm going to highlight an interesting, uh, a, a part of this uh, first verse that you might typically gloss right over. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, we focus on that all the time. Paul's actually in prison while he's writing this epistle, right? But he's a prisoner for you Gentiles, for you Gentiles, or In the King James uh, Version, it says, for this cause, for this reason, for you Gentiles. Paul begins with a statement that is going to be interrupted here from uh, uh, verses 2 all the way through 14, okay? He's going to begin to address what we know as the mystery, the mystery that Paul talks so much of uh, about in, in, uh, uh, really throughout all of his letters to the churches, Okay. This is going to be a literary parenthesis to explain something called a dispensation, okay? The church itself, when we think about it, let me frame this up for you guys. God had a plan, right? God created man. Man fell in the garden. Then God came and he, he uh, met Abraham, right? He made promises to Abraham. Then he gave the law, right? Then there was the law, And then Jesus came, and in Acts chapter 2, began this church age, okay? This thing that is the church is very unique to the rest of the Bible, and it's also very unique in the history of the world because the church itself is a parenthesis in God's dealings with Israel, really, in the context of the greater word of God. The first thing that we note always is that Paul calls himself a prisoner, And he connects his imprisonment to the Gentiles, for you Gentiles. Paul had been arrested in Jerusalem, little context for you. And he was making his defense to his people here. They listened to him until he 
got to the word Gentiles, and then a riot broke loose in Acts chapter 22, if you want to uh, read up on this. The relationship of the Gentiles to the Jews, it was even a problem, honestly, it was even a problem among the early Jewish believers, as we would find in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 15. The issue at hand of Paul's arrest in Jerusalem was the suspicion that he had taken uh, Trophimus, who was an Ephesian, one of themselves, into the temple. We mentioned that last week, okay? With that in mind, let's keep reading verse 2. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of grace, there it is, of God, which was given to me for you. Let's break this down a little bit, okay? Dispensation, dispense is your root word, right? Dispensing of grace, dispensation of grace. The word in the Greek means an economy, okay? Uh, or dispensation, or uh, oikos means house, and nomos means law. So in other words, the law of the house, the stewardship, dispensing management, the dispensing management of grace the law of the house, thus the stewardship of God's grace, okay? God's principles, church, do not change. His methods of dealing with mankind do not change over the course of history. We have to understand this. What he did yesterday, he will do today, right? Miracles that we have seen him do in the, in the word of God, he is still able to do them today. Augustine said this in regards to this issue of dispensations. Augustine said this, distinguish the ages and the scriptures will harmonize. And that's so important. We always talk about who, what, when, where, and why, don't we? Context of the word of God. Without context, it gets very confusing. If I'm thinking that I'm Israel, we've got a problem, right? Sadly, when people allegorize the text, even Augustine did that, they begin to allegorize the text, and all of a sudden Israel becomes the church, and then you're thinking that you're going to be in the Great Tribulation or something, right? So things can get real confusing real quick. So we've got to distinguish the ages, and if we do so, the scriptures will harmonize. So the different dispensations that we see throughout the Word of God, Schofield summed them up pretty well. Can I see this graphic? Schofield summed them up like this. He said, there was an age of innocence right out of the gate, Genesis chapter 1, 28, to the end, okay, the fall of man. The end of the age of innocence was when man sinned in the garden, okay? Then man became conscious. They had moral responsibility, and how did that go? Not very well, right? All the way up to the debauchery that led to the flood. Only eight people left that were righteous on the face of the earth. Then there was human government. We see that ended in Babylon when God dispensed them. They tried to build a tower, probably something dimensional happening there, and God dispersed them. And then we see the dispensation of promise, which is the promises made to Abraham, which by, by which we are grafted in by faith, Abraham, the man of faith. That ended with the bondage in Egypt. And then the next dispensation was the dispensation of the law that came through Moses and it ended with the captivity in Babylon. And then we get to this strange thing, which is the dispensation that Paul's talking about here in Ephesians, the dispensation of grace. 
And that will not end until Jesus comes to rapture the church and we see the Antichrist appear on, this, on the stage. And then finally, there will be a dispensation of the kingdom, which is a thousand-year millennial reign. And if you've been watching on Wednesday nights to our Revelation study, you, you've been well-versed in that recently. So uh, I can encourage you guys to, if you haven't joined us on Wednesday nights on our online feed, I so encourage you to do so. A lot of times we can get deeper into our study on those nights than we can hear this like on Sunday mornings because we have more time. So this is the dispensation of grace. Grace from me and you. Can I see this next graphic? The grace that Paul is talking about here is grace from me and you. As to the one chosen, Paul. Paul's undeserved favor for to be selected for such a high privilege. That's what he says, the, the, the grace for me, right? In verse 2, the dispensation of the grace of God, which is, was given for me and for you. For him, he says, because he feels unworthy to carry this message. As to the contents of the message, simply God's free and unmerited kindness. You don't deserve it. He didn't deserve it. And for you, the Gentiles he's speaking to, which we are by and large, we're, we're quite unworthy people to be, to be favored. Whether you're Jewish or a Gentile, it sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Very unworthy to be favored. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. So that grace given for me and for you. Verse 3. How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. And this is when we're going to get into this mystery talk, okay? made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, verse 4, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Mystery, mysterion in the Greek. In other words, a sacred, divine secret, humanly unknowable and divinely revealed. He mentioned it already in, the, in chapter 1. He mentioned it in chapter 2. Here he's mentioning it again. Now, on your worksheets, uh, this is some cool stuff. On one page, you'll see a bunch of 12s, okay? A bunch of 12s. This is for your further study to take home with you. We might go through this if it was a Wednesday night, but for time's sake this morning, I want you to uh, take a look at this, okay? Uh, actually, Ron, do you have one of those that I can borrow briefly? I just want to point out a couple things, all right? This uh, on one side is for right now. You've got the kingdom of heaven, the 12s that are referenced, 12 kingdom pairs. We see these, this number 12 repeated throughout the scripture. There are 12 different kingdom mysteries, all right? The mystery of the church is the one he's talking about now, but this is something that you guys can take home. And uh, thank you, Eddie something you can take home and further your study with. Paul's theme is Christ and the church, the eternal plan of God to gather together all things in Christ Jesus. That's his heart. That is the heart of your Lord and Savior. In every sense, Ephesians is Paul's greatest word on the church, teaching us what the church is in the mind of God, and that's what we need to know. All right? That's what we need to get deep down in here is how God views you, right? And that's what Ephesians does for us. And also, not only his teaching on how God views the church, but also what it might, what it ought to be in practice before the eyes of men as well. So in the Old Testament, God revealed through prophecy 
his program for the people of Israel, right? That he would establish them in their kingdom when they received their Messiah, and then through Israel, he would convert the Gentiles afterwards, okay? This, this mystery was, the reason it was a mystery is because when God brought the Gentiles in, they never saw it coming. See, but before God offered the kingdom to the Gentiles, he offered it to Israel first. Can I see this next graphic? God offered Israel the kingdom three specific ways, through the ministry of John the Baptist, repent, whom the Jews permitted to be slain. He offered them the kingdom through Christ's ministry when he was here, whom the Jews asked to be slain again, and through the apostles and Stephen, whom the Jews themselves actually killed also. So God turned and he offered this kingdom to the Gentile people as well as the Jews that did believe, which were not many. By and large, as a nation, Israel rejected their Messiah. Three offers of the kingdom were made to Israel, but the nation rejected each one of them. They had rejected the Father who had sent John. They had rejected the Son and the Spirit who was energizing the witnessing apostles. And with the death of Stephen, the offers of the kingdom ceased, but they ceased temporarily. The message went out to the Samaritans and to the Gentiles, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10. And in the meantime, Paul was saved miraculously when he got knocked off his high horse, right? On the road to Damascus. Let's keep reading, verse 5. So, that you may understand the knowledge of the mystery in Christ, verse 5, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. So in other dispensations, other ages, it was not made known, okay? Thus, that means the Old Testament. It was not made known. This verse refutes hyper-dispensationalism, okay? There is a teaching out there right now called hyper-dispensationalism, and what it does is it chops up the Word of God and tries to teach you that parts of the Bible are for you, but other parts of the Bible are not for you. Other parts of the Bible are for the Jews or for the end-time Jewish uh, uh, nation uh, or end-time uh, tribulation, I should say, Jewish person, and it, what it does is it chops up the Word of God. This right here refutes hyper-dispensationalism, because uh, the hyper-dispensationalists love to say, only Paul, only Paul knew the mystery of the church, okay? Uh, the Old Testament predicted the call of the Gentiles, but it did not, it did, but not as fellow members of the body, Okay? When Paul says fellow heirs, well, let's just read verse 6 first. Verse 6, as it has now been revealed to the Spirit, by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, so revealed to Paul, that's my point I was missing, uh, revealed to Paul, but also to the apostles as well. So the hyper-dispensationalist wants to say only Paul knew the mystery. And this tells us right here that the apostles and prophets added it as well. So verse 6 that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Fellow 
heirs. Paul had already mentioned the concept, but now he explains the tremendous impact of this sacred secret. This is the most complete definition that we have of Paul's mystery of the gospel that he talks about, the mystery of the church. Fellow heirs, one body, no no distance for you, no disadvantage for you in the household of God anymore. You're not an outsider looking in anymore. Yeah, the Jews were God's chosen people. You have equal standing with them now, is Paul's point that he's making. Because keep in mind, at the time, there were a bunch of Jewish believers. They were Christians, but they were running around telling people that, no, if you want the Jewish Messiah, you've got to become a Jew first, then you can have. They're still here today, by the way. They're called Hebrew roots, and there are churches all over the place. They're trying to make Gentiles Jews so they can receive Jesus and be better Christians? How does that make any sense, right? It doesn't, is the problem. Paul is here saying that there is no distance, no disadvantage anymore. We are fellow partakers of the promise. That's good news. That's good news. So let me just give you a summary of the mystery. You've got your worksheets, some some stuff if you wanted to look further into it. But let me give you something here that we can look at together. The mystery. Here in verse 6, Paul states the mystery clearly. Let's just once and for all identify this thing, okay? That believing Gentiles and Jews are now one body in Christ, okay? This mystery had not been made known before this time, but now, but now, God had revealed it to his apostles and the New Testament prophets by the Spirit. Paul's Uh, ministry was to the Gentiles, and his message was that of grace. Paul's special task was to share the truth of the one body, the mystery of the church, that Jews and Gentiles could have the same standing, and that just blew the mind of the Jewish people, okay? So to say that the 12 apostles from the beginning understood the mystery of the church is to deny Paul's inspired words here, okay? Even Peter had a vision from heaven in Acts chapter 10 before he would go to the Gentiles, okay? The truth of one body was given to Paul and his significance dawned gradually upon the church thereafter, all right? So... Oh, and this is important as well, speaking of hyper-dispensationalists. Both Peter and Paul had the same message, the same message, although it was to two different groups, it was the same message of salvation through faith plus nothing, all right? We got a highbrow lesson today for some highbrow scholars in this room. So on the back of, on the back of your worksheet, on the other side of that worksheet, you'll see some, uh, some points on the kingdom, the calling, the millennium, and on the church. Again, that's for you to take home, okay? Groups that ignore this clear-cut statement of Paul, that the church is not a revelation of the Old Testament and treat the church uh, as a continuation or a replacement of Israel— They're known as covenant theologists, replacement theologists, okay? And this view originated with Augustine following the allegorations of origin 
which really goes all the way back to the Gnostics, but it was embraced by the Roman Catholic Church and carried over. And sadly, when the Reformation happened, it did so much good for salvation of being preached the way that it's supposed to, that it's not by works, but by faith alone. The Reformation did such a good job at that, but sadly, it did not handle the problem of allegorizing Scripture, which is a big problem. So let's keep going. Verse 7, moving forward. Moving forward. Partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, verse 7, of which the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. I was made a minister, he says. Paul describing his own ministry. A minister. In the Greek, that word uh, simply means servant. A servant. Working. That word means energy and power. We read about this a few weeks ago. It's actually the word dunamis, where we get our word dynamite, right? So, uh, the gift of grace of God given to me by the uh, energetic working of his dynamite power. So Paul has mentioned the dynamite power of Christ is available to us for daily life and service as well in chapter 1. To me, verse 8, made effective working of his power to me who am Less than the least. I love this. Here we see Paul's heart. Here we see humility. But Paul, you have been chosen by God to be the one who carries the gospel of grace to all of the Gentile world. Boy, aren't you something? No, no, no. Paul doesn't get the big head, as they say in the South here, right? No, he says, I am less than the least of all the saints. This grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is no feigned humility here, okay? In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul refers to himself as the chief of all sinners, if you recall. He brings up memories of how he persecuted others in Acts chapter 9, Galatians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1. He owns his failings and gives grace to God because his failures, oh, by owning his failures, God is glorified all the more. He could even use somebody like me, Paul effectively is saying, right? Guess what? If he can use somebody like Paul, and this is why God chose Paul, I'm convinced of it, You'll never be able to say God couldn't use me. He, he used Paul, the chief persecutor of the early church, stood by in approval holding the coats of the men who stoned Stephen to death before he was saved. If he can use Paul, he can use you. How does God view you? How do you when you think of God the Father and what he thinks of you and how he views you, we have to understand this. Mm. Understanding the deep truths of God's word, it doesn't give man the big head. No, no, no. It gives him a broken and contrite heart. That's what this word does. Over and over again, the deeper you study it, the more contrite you become, or should anyway. Paul, uh, remember, his name was Saul, and it was changed to Paul. 
Paul in, in uh, the Latin means little, <laughs> little guy. Unsearchable riches. Mm. That, that in the Greek means untraceable, untraceable, unsearchable. In other words, you cannot detect the mystery of one body in the Old Testament scriptures anywhere. It was a mystery hidden in Christ. Let's keep reading verse 9. Unsearchable riches in Christ, verse 9, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. I just can't help I think of the fellowship of the ring every time I hear that. Yeah? The fellowship of the mystery. That's probably where he got the idea. The fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. Fellowship, all men, all men here equals all believers, all believers. That word fellowship there is a koinonia, koinonia, believers, fellowship. It harkens to uh, make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which is he's speaking to that dispensation again of grace, okay? New creation hidden in God from all ages. Verse 10, to the intent, here's the intent, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. This is pretty cool here. Uh, We can get through verse 12, can't we? We're already on 10, all right. This is pretty cool here. One of God's present purposes is to reveal, are you ready for this? His manifold wisdom to the angelic hosts of heaven, to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Did you know that you are a spectacle to heavenly beings? You don't think about that very often, do you? You are. You're a spectacle. They rejoice at the repentance of one lost sinner, according to Luke chapter 15, verse 10. The angels rejoice. They're watching you. They rejoice at the repentance of one lost sinner. They watch the, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, they watch the activities of the local churches as well. We're a spectacle to them. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 9. However, men may mock the salvation of Christ, and they do, don't they? However, this world and men may mock the salvation of Christ and all that belongs to it, the highest intelligences in the universe regard it with profound interest. How cool is that? Manifold, manifold wisdom of God, that word manifold, uh, in the Greek, means cloth or flowers, intricate beauty of an embroidered pattern, something like that. It's beautiful. Mm. Yet that is full. The angels on high are fascinated and watch with great intrigue your life. How about you? How about you? How about you then? Huh? You're something to them, okay? Yet foolish, you're a fool to the unsaved. Oh, you think I'm a fool? Well, you know what? The angels, they think I'm pretty cool, actually. They're watching me like TV. Come on. (laughs) 
the, the precise line of thought is this. God from eternity had a purpose to put Jew and Gentile on precisely the same footing, but concealed it for many ages until he revealed it in the apostolic age when he appointed Paul his minister to announce it. Verse 11, according to, underline this, the eternal purpose. The purpose was eternal, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have, oh, get this, hear this now. This is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. In whom we have boldness and access now with confidence through faith in him. If you don't hear anything else I said today, there's some deep waters, heavy lifting. You might've been a little bored. That's okay. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. The eternal purpose. That chills. My heart feels full of love reading this. The eternal purpose. The church is not a divine afterthought. It's eternal purpose. It is part of God's eternal purpose in Christ. You are not an afterthought. I don't care if your parents made you feel that way. I don't care if your grandparents made you feel that way. I don't care if your boss makes you feel that way. I don't care if you don't have a sense of value. You need to see yourself how God sees you. You are not an afterthought to him as much as you might feel like it sometimes. The word of God says otherwise. To ignore this truth is an insult against the father who planned it, the son whose death made it possible, and the spirit who today seeks to work in our lives to accomplish what God has planned. This is powerful and profound. You know, Satan knows the scriptures, doesn't he? You know he knows the scriptures, By keeping this program that God had planned hidden, God prevented Satan from hindering the plan. So it was unrevealed. Why would it be unrevealed? God's pretty crafty too. You see, because Satan Satan didn't know this divine plan, Satan took Christ to the cross and by doing so, sealed his own doom. The old switcheroo, huh? I don't know if that makes sense, but... It is tragic today when we see pastors and churches wandering about aimlessly in their ministries because they do not understand God's purpose for the church in this age, how he has done a few things. Can I see this graphic? He's done a few things. How he has sent heaven's best for the earth's worst. How he has redeemed his enemies at his enemy, at, his, at enormous cost. How he has conquered them by love and prepared them as a bride for his son. Amen? Through the work of the Lord Jesus on the cross, more glory has come to God and more blessing has come to believing Jews and Gentiles than if sin had never been allowed to enter. Wrap your mind around that. 
God has been vindicated. Christ has been exalted. Satan has been defeated. And the church has been enthroned in Christ to share in this glory. Wow. Verse 12, in him we have boldness and access. Boldness and access with confidence. Did you get that word? Confidence through faith in him. The consequence is this, access to the throne of God, boldly without being scolded, right? Mm, that legalist teaching that wants to tell you that God is just a scolding father, right? We talked about a couple of weeks ago about how, according to the old law, no man could stand before God the Father. This is quite a contrast. Remember the Israelites? They'd have to select a priest to make a sacrifice on their behalf. The priest would first have to make a sacrifice for himself. Then they'd tie a rope around his ankle and he'd wear bells in case the sacrifice wasn't accepted and he fell dead. They'd, you know, hear the bells stopped. They could pull him out without having to go in there. I don't know about you, but that visual doesn't give me an overwhelming feeling of confidence <laughs> when going before the Father. When I think about approaching God, <clears throat> I think a lot of us, a lot of us, when we think about God the Father, at least I used to, used to, I'd get this picture in my mind of like da Vinci's painting of God the Father, right? Sitting on the throne, he's got the big white beard. Do we, I've got that picture in there. Can I see that? This guy, right? A little intimidating, I would say. You know? In all reality, though, this is the image that a lot of us get when we think of God. It's an image that inspires fear, not confidence. And Paul is saying, go before him with confidence. Be to be enlightened, as Paul talks about in chapter one. Be enlightened. See what he sees. See yourself as he sees you now, robed in the righteousness of Christ. A spectacle to all the angels. Go before him with boldness and in confidence. Mm. And we'll close here today. I'll invite Andrew up here. Andrew, could you come up here and set the mood for us a little bit? If we are ever to change our worldview from that of a slave, that of an employee, that of one who hopes to please God to that of a son or daughter, then we have got to get this picture out of our minds. Take it off the screen. Get rid of that guy, please. I don't want to see that guy again, right? Oh, church, welcome to the new you. Welcome to the new you. You are the church. God calling out a people for the heavens, for the heavens, to be the body and the bride of his son throughout the ages to come. Come. Ooh, what an honor. What love. And through whom, I might add, he will administer the, air, the affairs, 
administer the affairs of the redeemed universe in the age to come. He's got big plans for you yet. With every eye closed and every head bowed, we'll stop here this morning. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're here this morning and maybe there are still trace elements within your subconscious that when you think of God the Father, you think of that picture that we saw. I want you to wipe that picture out of your minds, all right? From the beginning, before he even knit you together in his mother's womb, and I'll add this, before he even formed the earth, he knew this plan. He knew how he would pull it off, and he knew what he would use you for. You are not an afterthought to him. You are his prize. You are his beautiful son, beautiful daughter. He has a purpose for you, an eternal purpose. An eternal purpose that is actually so important, the angels are in awe of what he did, how he did it, and what he is going to yet do with you. That's who you are. Welcome to the new you. If there's a part of you that doesn't have that set in the foundation of your understanding, if there's stuff still clogging up the filter, if you've still got a dirty filter of legalism and disapproval of God, even though you've been washed in the blood of Christ and wear that robe of righteousness, Wash out that filter. Take it out. Shake the dust out of it. Whatever it is, hose it off. Let the Lord, you know, let him give you a new filter. Holy Spirit, let's, if that's you, just raise your hand. You can put it down. Let's clean out your filter this morning, huh? Let's bring it to God. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you go to great length to explain to us in great detail the love and care that you have put into creating us and planning a purpose and a future and a destiny for us, Lord. Lord, we need you continually, God. Continually, Lord. Holy Spirit, minister to our hearts, Father. Reveal yourself to us in your word, Lord. Shut the mouth of the lying serpent who would speak confusion to us, Lord. Lord, give us a quickening in our spirit when we hear the word of God, the word of truth being taught incorrectly to manipulate, to cause shame, Lord, we just want to be who you've called us to be, who you've created us to be. Our hearts are humbled and contrite, Lord, before you, that you would think of us so much, that you would put us on such a pedestal, Lord, as to call us your own, to call us your sons and your daughters, Lord Jesus. So we say thank you this morning, Lord. We ask you to cleanse the filters, Father. Cleanse those those wrong believing, those wrong patterns of belief and thinking, Lord Jesus, that we might come boldly before your throne and with confidence stand before you.
confidence of a son or daughter in right standing and in your approval because of what Christ Jesus did, not because of what we did, but because of what he did, you have made us into that bride for your son, into that holy people for yourself. We say thank you and amen this morning. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. If you have never given your heart to the Lord, you've never laid down your life, you've never put your trust for eternal salvation in him, I want you to say this prayer with Life Story Church. Let's say it together as a church body. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you love me. Come into my heart and make me new. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose from the grave on the third day. I believe you have a calling and a destiny for my life. So walk with me all the days of it. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he go before you, walk beside you, follow after you. May you prosper in all you do. In Jesus' name and God's people said again, amen. We love you guys. Thank you so much, truly.